Godazo. So we, ret- we continue on our Dzogchen retreat. And I want to make some brief comments, because I'm eager to get to the meditation. Brief comments about the issue of preliminary practices. I think some of my comments may, if taken out of context, give the wrong impression of what my view on these is. So I want to make it very clear, because uh, I think it's a very important topic, enormously important. Uh, so to come to this retreat, I didn't require that people have completed reciting 100,000 of the Bhattrasattva mantra or mandalas and so forth and so on. Many lamas don't, and Gyatrodhamuchi very specifically gave exactly these teachings, not with the same commentary, but exactly the same text. Uh, and as you recall, because I'm following the footsteps of my lama, I'm not trying to start some new tradition here, uh, he actually said, anyone who has faith would really like to put the teachings into practice, you're welcome to attend these teachings. That's what he said. Including non-Buddhists, which is quite unusual, and I think absolutely marvelous. I have only to say admiration is a way understatement. Such profound appreciation for his openness, his unconditional compassion. The kindness is really inexpressible. And he devoted it, or really like, well, since 1972, and he's still teaching a little bit, uh, just devoted his whole, all that time, decades, serving selflessly, selflessly, and offering the most profound teachings and then inviting the finest lamas on the planet to his centers. And they seem to all have accepted his invitation. So with profound gratitude to my own lama, my primary Dzogchen lama, Gyatur for granting me these teachings and giving me the privilege and the honor to share them. So, but the preliminary practices are very important. He never, never once gave any impression to the contrary, and I don't want to either. At the same time, and not but, but parallel to that statement, not contrary to that statement, parallel to that statement, uh, the Buddha himself was very, very clear about just devoting oneself to blind beliefs and blind rituals, empty rituals, very explicitly. He said it's one of the, one of the forms of delusion. One of the, I think, what is it, six root forms of delusion, something like that, is adherence to just ritual. Right? I'm not making this up. right? And it's just out of spirit of the whole teachings of the Buddha. To engage in ritual just for the sake of ritual, kind of mindlessly and rote, and with blind faith. That is so contrary. But human beings tend to do that. That kind of blind faith, rote activity happens in science. Not good science, crappy science. But it does happen, not because science is bad, but be- people have a tendency for this. It happens in art paint by the colors. You know, it happens everywhere. You know, chopsticks. You ever played chopsticks? Okay, you want to have chopsticks for a Dharma practice? You know? And so that's all I've ever been criticizing. So in terms of the classic, and it's not, this isn't emphasized in all traditions, but it is emphasized very strongly in traditions in which I take refuge, and that is doing the sets of 100,000. I've done it, by the way. Of course, I've done it. I did it under the guidance of Gyatra Nambache. If one engages in these practices with faith, with devotion, with understanding, they're not just going through some blind faith ritual, and with some real clarity of attention, focused attention, and you do the whole set of them, I think it's very purifying. 
certainly can be. And you may even see signs of purification. If you're doing 100,000 100, of Vajrasattva, the idea is you actually see signs of purification and not just get through it and say, whew, at the end. Right? So there are signs. I had signs for the first time. I've done it three times. Three sets of 100,000. The first time, at the end, I had signs. I had worm, worms coming out of my body. That's a sign. Not that I was finished, but maybe I'd begun. <laughs> so, just that. If one has faith, devotion, understanding, and really practices with focused attention, there's a good reason these great lamas from all the traditions emphasize these practices. And I have only veneration, reverence, and respect for it. That's quite clear, yeah? But now, if, if, doing, if you're doing it without understanding, and just going around and, and, as one friend of mine said, throwing rocks at a plate, you know, when you're doing the mandala offering, and you don't really, really believe that the, that the Mount Meru and all of that exists at all, you think it's just a big superstition, um, then what exactly is the point? You can, you're getting a lot of merit by offering Santa Claus Village, you know, and getting calluses on the bottom of your arm while you're beating up a, a little a brass plate with a rock like you really don't like it. Take this, take this 100,000 times. Ah, ah, ah. Okay, that's not offering the mandala. That's going through an empty ritual. Okay? And it's not just one person who's experienced that. I think that person has company. So, so just that. If there's no understanding, then get, a, get, a, get understanding. If there's no faith, well, see if you can cultivate faith. If you can't, do something in which you do have faith. Right? And then, if you don't have good focused attention, then develop it. That'd be a good idea. Because engaging in even the most profound practices, let's say doing the sadhana fugoya samaja, chakra samvara, bhadra yugini, these incredibly profound, inexpressibly profound practices. But if you do them, and you're just so-called keeping your commitments. That's how we say it, keeping your commitments. Just doing the, re the recitations. They call it kandun, the oral recitation. Are you doing your kandun? Are you keeping your, your, your commitments, your kelen? And kelen is something you take with your mouth. Uh, if, that's, if, you're, if, if that's all you're doing, then let's see, let's see what Shantideva says about that. He says, even though you practice recitations, austerities, and so, long, so on for a long time, because the mind is distracted elsewhere, such action is said by the sage, the Buddha, to be meaningless. So whether you do something a hundred thousand times meaninglessly, or a million times, or one time, it's still meaningless. Because one times zero, and ten times zero, and a hundred thousand times zero, is still zero. Meaningless means devoid of meaning, right? So that's a simple point. And so Shantideva continues, by examining this mind alone, now that's what this retreat's all been about. Examining his mind alone. By examining this mind alone, all those will be guarded. All the other practices. He's referring, this is, he's ref I think this is the, um, the introspection chapter. He's referring to the whole other, all the other practices you're doing. Well, all the other practices you're doing. Right? Some of you are doing Vajrasattva, some doing Guru Yoga, some doing Sadhana practice, some doing Donglen, and so forth. Wide variety. And I encourage all of it. You know, never once have I told any of you, oh no, I think you should stop that practice. You learn that from another lama? Oh, don't do that. I've never said that in my life. So I know I've never said it in this retreat. Right? I want you to have a balanced practice. And if you receive other wonderful practices from other teachers, I only rejoice. So that's what he's referring to by other practices. By examining this mind alone, all those other practices you're doing will be guarded. By subduing this mind alone, all those will be subdued. Apart from the discipline of guarding the mind, what's the use of many practices? So, that's Shantideva. 
That's not me. That's Shantideva. And then just a couple of other quotes. These are from Mahayana Sutras. Just direct quotes. And I've, taken, I've excerpted this from this one chapter on shamatha in Buddhahood in the palm of your hand by Kamachana Rinpoche. Incredible erudition. So he has the erudition, and I just get a benefit from his erudition. So from the Pitaputra Samagama Sutra. Pitaputra Samagama Sutra. So Mahayana Sutra. With respect to all the dharmas of the Buddha, I see no other way. If you realize shamatha and great primordial consciousness, you will certainly achieve spontaneous actualization. That's interesting. So pretty much those two. Achieve shamatha and primordial consciousness, which is rikpa, and then spontaneous actualization will be then rungidupa. All the, everything else will flow out. Bodhicitta will flow out. Because bodhicitta is relative bodhicitta, and, and primordial consciousness is ultimate bodhicitta. And as Padmasambhava self said, don't look outside of rikpa for bodhicitta, for heaven's sakes. You know, because it's a natural effulgence, the relative, a natural effulgence of the ultimate. And so everything flows out of those two, shamatha and rikpa, out of the substrate consciousness and out of rikpa. And your coarse mind is just kept to the good stuff. All the conceptualization, visualizations, all the activities of the coarse mind, that's just the key to open the door to the substrate consciousness, and that's the key to open the door to, to pristine awareness. Yeah? Okay, another one. This one's going to be hard to, trend, uh, to pronounce. Ananda Garbha Vikranti Nirdesha Sutra. I want you to memorize that, Michael. So, but there it is. Whoever lacks the mind of, uh, whoever lacks the mind of meditative equipoise lacks realization of primordial consciousness. The, con the contaminations or defilements will not be eliminated, so by all means accomplish it. It's pretty clear, yeah? Meditative upways, you know what that's referring to. And will not, uh, such a person lacks the realization of primordial consciousness. So again, I'm going to give tiny commentary. Doesn't mean that if you've not achieved shamatha, you cannot gain any access to rikpa. It does not mean that. Unequivocally, definitely, without any debate. No, without having achieved shamatha, can you gain some access, some taste, some insight into emptiness? Yes. Into rikpa? Yes. Can you sustain it? Lots of luck. Because Dzogchen practice was not designed to help you achieve shamatha. Any more if you, than if you take an, a course in advanced calculus, that was designed to help you with a multiple, mul, 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 multiple mul, multiplication tables or something. Geometry. Okay? Advanced calculus, it's not going to help you with geometry. You should have learned geometry first, or algebra, let's say. It won't help you. If you skip algebra and go directly to advanced calculus, you will not learn advanced calculus. You might get a little glimmer here and there, like, wow, that's cool. But you'll never be able to stay there. You'll never pass one exam. And you're also not learning algebra. So it's really similar like that. Or quantum mechanics. Study quantum mechanics. Never study classical physics. You're not going to learn classical physics, but you won't really understand quantum mechanics either. That's when I, when I decided to study physics as a Buddhist monk. I didn't go directly to what I wanted to study. And that was quantum mechanics only. That was the only thing I was really interested in. I slogged my way through calculus, classical mechanics, classical electromagnetism, advanced mechanics, you know, step by step by step. I earned my, and then I was doing all the mathematics all the way through. I mean, that's just what everybody does who's serious about physics. But it wasn't a new age thing, oh, let's just watch a lot of, you know, popular, read a lot of popular books in quantum mechanics. 
very entertaining. You'll never learn quantum mechanics. Okay, I think the final one, very famous one, Dhamma Sangiti Sutra, Dharma Sangiti Sutra. The mind settled in equipoise sees reality as it is. Due to seeing reality as it is, the mind of a bodhisattva dwells in great compassion for sentient beings. I think it's wonderful, really wonderful. Because it's, it's, it's highlighting here that on the one hand, great compassion is to be cultivated. And that's why today we're going to go through the whole sequence, starting with loving kindness, the four immeasurables, and right through the four greats to the extraordinary resolve to bodhicitta. We're going to go through the whole cycle once again, but with fewer words from me. So the first, two time, the first time we did it, more, a lot of you were learning something new, so you're trying to learn and remember, and then reflecting upon it, kind of get a handle on it. Okay? Well, I'm kind of assuming you've learned it a bit, and you have a bit of a handle on it. And so now, for the next 12 days of our time together here, not counting Sundays, then having done a bit of, think, of hearing, a bit of thinking, it's time for meditation, which means less words from me, just a little tap on the shoulder once in a while, verbally, and that's meditation. And meditation is familiarization. Familiarization, okay? So these are active meditations, as you well know, because we've done all of them. So on the one hand, we're coming in from that door. But on the other hand, here I'm going to read it again. The mind settled and meditative equipoise sees reality as it is. As it is. Well, that's really referring to nirvana, emptiness, dhammadhatu. Due to seeing reality as it is, the mind of a bodhisattva dwells in great compassion for sentient beings. And suggesting here, I think, that go into that deep meditative equipoise, gain realization of emptiness, gain realization of rigpa, and the compassion spontaneously comes out. So it's good to approach it from the front door, cultivating, cultivating, visualizing, and so on. But also, the deeper you go into meditative equipoise, come to gain some insight into emptiness, maybe at least get the fragrance, get some taste of rigpa, then you'll find grace, blessings. And blessings not from somebody else. Not from Padmasambhava as somebody else, certainly not as from me as somebody else. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to offer you to transmit across space. You know, dee, 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 dee. I don't do that. I wish I could. Then I just zap you all and we all go home. You know? <laughs> but I don't have that ability. You know? But this then opens up the back door. And it's grace. And it is grace from the divine. That's why I'm using that word. There's no, I just mean grace. It is grace from the divine. But now in this Ocean context, of course, shall I say it again? Do not look for the Buddha outside yourself. Don't look around. Oh, who should I thank? Who should I thank? That was really great. Where did it come? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, look into space. Look into the space of your own awareness, indivisible from Rikpa. And then you can thank your own Buddha nature that is dishing up free, free of charge dishing up great compassion, authentic, from the root. Because that's the only perspective from which great compassion makes sense, right? We all know that. So where is it going to come from? The one place that it's real, the one place that it is authentic, and not an exercise in megalomania, craziness, right? From Buddha nature. So that's where great compassion comes from. Not from Buddhism, not from the meditation, and not from your mind. It comes from the only place from which it makes sense. That's it. Let's engage in our supplication for empowerments, and then we'll continue in the cultivation of loving kindness. With few words, I hope you'll be fairly familiar, so the few words will be enough.
Nice touch. Whoever will put this here. Thank you. It's very helpful.
If you'd like to switch postures, please do so now. Settle your body, speech and mind in the natural state. And for a few minutes, make a real point, a very subtle point, of settling your respiration in its natural rhythm. So let your awareness be still, be aware of the fluctuations of the field of your body, or of this somatic field, as you continue to release more and more deeply into the natural flow of the breath, unconstrained, unforced. Aware of those fluctuations of the in and out breath, but, but letting your awareness remain where it is, still and clear.
we move from the realm of actuality to the realm of possibility. I invite you to pose the question to yourself. What would make you truly happy? What is your vision of your own fulfillment? Bringing this as clearly to mind, bringing all of your wisdom, all of your understanding to bear. Bring this vision to mind. And when it becomes clear, knowing that like an artist you can always repaint this, refashion this at any time, but for now, bring this vision to mind. And then with every out-breath, arouse the aspiration. May I find happiness in the causes of happiness. With every out-breath, arouse the aspiration. Breathe life into this vision. And if you wish, you may imagine light filling this vision from the orb of light at your heart.
Imagine with each out-breath this aspiration being realized here and now. Turn to the second question, what would you love to receive from the world around you? From those near and far, in the short term and in the long term. From sentient beings and from the enlightened ones, what would you love to receive from the world to enable you to realize this vision? And with every in-breath arouses aspiration, may I receive all that I truly need to find the happiness, the well-being that is my heart's desire. And with every out-breath, imagine the blessings of all sentient beings and all the enlightened ones flowing in upon you in the form of light, providing you with exactly what you need. Reality rising up to meet you in every moment, every day, every lifetime from now until you are perfectly awakened. Imagine this occurring here and now with each in-breath.
move to the third question, and that is, how would you love to transform inwardly? From what afflictions, obscurations, and obstacles would you love to be free? And with what virtues would you love to be richly endowed to enable you to realize your heart's desire? Bring to mind a clear vision of how you'd love to transform, to evolve spiritually, so that you may find the fulfillment you seek. With each outbreath, arouse the aspiration, may it be so. May I find genuine happiness and cultivate the causes. And this transformation that you have envisioned constitutes exactly the causes needed. With every outbreath, arouse the aspiration. And breath by breath, imagine this aspiration being fulfilled here and now in this realm of possibility.
Shantideva states that if you do not reflect upon the benefits of bodhicitta for yourself, how will you ever arouse the inspiration to develop it for the sake of others? So in that spirit, we pose the fourth question. And that is, what would you love to offer to the world around you, drawing on your own unique background, abilities, interests, gifts? What would you love to offer to the world around you, to those who are near and far in the short term, the long term, to help others find hedonic well-being, eudaimonic well-being, freedom, and awakening. What would you love to offer to the world in order to bring the greatest possible meaning to your own life? For your own sake, what would you love to offer to the world? With every out-breath, imagine this being realized here and now as you breathe life into the vision and the light of your heart pervades the world.
Release all appearances and objects of the mind, release all aspirations, and let your awareness rest in its natural stillness, purity, and luminosity. I think it's in Kepji Dujanumache's short, quintessential, and extraordinary text uh, called Advice for a Mountain Retreat, which a number of people translated. I've translated it too. Uh, I think it's in there, I believe so, that he cites some great Dzogchen master who states, I can't quote, I can paraphrase very closely. He says, Some people say that the, uh, the main practice is really the most important. But I say the preliminary practices are most important. And he certainly was speaking from profound insight. And so I would say I heartily agree. I heartily agree. Preliminary practice. And so preliminary practices for this retreat, and just generally for all the teachings I give everywhere, the preliminary practices, I'll tell you exactly what they are. Shamatha. We've seen it. I mean, it was there in so many words, right? Shamatha. Relative bodhicitta, by way of the four immeasurables, the four greats, and ultimate bodhicitta, vipassana, ascertaining the nature of rikpa. Those are the preliminaries. They're most important. And anything beyond that you do, it's great. Any main practice you do beyond that, very good. In any way you can accentuate, if you want to enrich uh, those preliminary practices, very good. But it's shamatha, relative bodhicitta, and ultimate bodhicitta. A life of no regret. If you die doing those practices, no grounds for regret. No matter how much you've achieved, not achieved, lived up to your expectations, have not done so, no regret. You've gone to the, 
You've gone to the center and you're staying there. You're not getting distracted, not getting derailed. Oh yeah, enjoy your day.